0: those who don't know me, I am the Ross that was spoken of before, and a member of the church here in Willesden. Uh, during our vacancy, uh, you may remember that uh, I attempted to begin preaching through uh, the letter of James, and uh, we're still in chapter 1. So if I do get to the end, I'll probably be about 90 years old or something like that and we have a few more vacancies in between. Anyway, so far we have seen James beginning his epistle with a bullet straight out of the gun. My brothers, count it all joy whenever you have hardships of any kind, any kind, and not just endure them, but count it pure joy, all joy. And that bowls most Christians over, first time. But says, well, if you're gonna do that, you need a big God and you need his wisdom. So you need to ask God for wisdom to handle these things, these big and small hardships of life. So the book is all about wisdom. It is indeed a wisdom epistle. And then he gives an example, one of the hardships that the uh, people to whom he wrote, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. They were enduring persecution of one kind or another. So they, And rich people were mishandling them, misusing them, abusing them. So they needed some wisdom to handle that. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, he gives us a wonderful beatitude. Blessed are those who endure persecution. Wow, blessed. That's good. And now this morning, all of a sudden, he changes tack and now he's introducing us to the subject of temptation. Well, have you ever been tempted? Tempted to break the law of the land? Speeding? Hands up. No, oh, no. I want you to put your hands up. <laughs> tempted to lie to parents? Tempted to lie, your sep- lie to your spouse? Tempted to lie to your teacher. Going back to school soon. Have you done your homework? Yes, oops, sorry. Tempted to break your marriage vows to God and to your spouse. Tempted to steal time from your boss. Five minutes extra. Tempted to steal goods from Kmart. Bit of shoplifting, very easy to do, you know yes, in our fallen sinful nature or our indwelling sin, I can confidently say this morning to all here, all of you have been tempted. All of you are tempted and you're all, including me, guilty of succumbing to temptation. We're a bunch of miserable sinners. Daily temptations stand in our path. And daily, we have to either reject them or succumb to them. Temptations are a major daily challenge to our Christian lives and non-Christian lives too. No wonder then that James deals with it, because he's a practical Christian leader. And he points us to having a biblical knowledge of wisdom in all areas of our lives, to have a Christian world and life view about everything. So how do you fare with your temptations? How aware are you of them? First of all are you aware of them and what is your failure and success rate with dealing with them? James, and I would join him, pray that you will be fortified with God's wisdom this morning in dealing with this area of your Christian faith. The scattered 12 tribes, they're the description of the people to whom he wrote, also experienced this phenomenon because temptations are not a new thing. James knew the problem of our sinful nature that we are daily exposed to temptations and all the decisions of our lives. It was a real phenomenon of living on this earth, and it needs also a biblical perspective. James again draws on Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, particularly from what we call the Lord's Prayer. You all know that where Jesus teaches us that our daily prayers need to include the earnest supplication, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You do pray that prayer every day too, don't you? If not, why not? The major temptation of these 12 tribes scattered abroad, which is his way of describing the Christians from Jerusalem who had been scattered through persecution, may well have been not to declare themselves as Christian. That is, they denied knowing Jesus like Peter did. They were tempted to lie regarding the truth of the gospel. They were tempted to add to this world's darkness instead of being the light of the world. Indeed, they were far away from the city of Jerusalem where their Christian profession was better known, so easier to hide their faith. And it was because of that faith that they had to flee in the first place and now they were in their present position of refugees. The Jewish religious leaders were in hot pursuit The fanatical Pharisee Saul of Tarsus had pursued them as far as Damascus, some 250 k's away. And some disciples stood firm in their faith, rejecting the temptation to lie and escape ridicule and persecution, and so made it more difficult for themselves. But others succumbed to the temptation fearing men rather than God, and denied their Saviour and Lord. You wouldn't do that, would you? Deny knowing Jesus, some occasionally, some more frequently. Pastor James knew the human heart, and he knew that the road of faith is not easy, and that it is common for disciples to be tempted and even falter in their faith. So now he writes about this practical issue, providing them with a greater understanding of what is actually happening when one is tempted, in order that they may be fortified to resist further temptation, and not bring shame on their great Savior. So we look at our text. Subject of temptation is introduced with the beatitude about persevering under trial. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. It seems to be a summary of what is already said. In the context of verses 2 to 8, he's been speaking of outward external trials of faith, persecution, and there were plenty of them. But now without warning, as James typically does, he plunges us into the serious subject of temptation. And yet, there is a close connection through the words trial and temptation. We don't see it in English, but if we see it in the Greek language in which they were originally written, in the Greek, both words, are connected, They're in the same word family, similar. The context must decide whether it's a test of faith or a temptation. And now he begins to speak about these inward trials and tests, which we call temptations. Temptations are simply trials of your faith. Each circumstance of life presents us with the opportunity to persevere and walk with our Lord Jesus or to deny him and fall away. Most of us would surely know of someone who has ceased to walk with God under the pressure of adversity. Very sad. So when individual disciples fail the test, and that's what succumbing to temptation is, failing the test, they would be filled with shame and guilt that they had denied their savior and sinned against him. And you don't, no doubt have experienced that too. Some immediately confessed their sin, repented, and renewed their holy calling to stand up for King Jesus. Others, however, Let their shame ferment and become toxic and look for another solution, one used today by many. They look for a scapegoat, someone else to blame for their temptation and sin. In this case, God, blame him. So James immediately corrects this fallacy. James declares no one should say, I am tempted by God, for God does not tempt any man, period. Indeed, God gets blamed for many evil things still today. So it's nothing new. You have an earthquake, blame God. All disasters, blame Him. In the Garden of Eden, All over again, repetition. Confronted by God regarding his act of disobedience, Adam blames God for the disaster. When he replies to God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate, blaming God. Then the woman blamed the serpent, wasn't her fault. Neither took responsibility for their sin. Both succumbed to the temptation and the test that Satan had given them. The scene from Eden presents Satan as the great tempter of humanity. And there is much truth in this. But scripture also presents other tempters as the world and our flesh. Otherwise translated, our sinful nature as our tempters. Here, James limits the source of temptation to our own evil desires. You knew you had one, didn't you? Our own evil desires in your heart. We're not so we're good on the outside, but on the inside there is this evil desire. Being nullified and sanctified by God's spirit, yes, but sadly still there. Paul generally uses the phrase, the flesh, which is often translated sinful nature. It refers to our human nature inherited from our first parents when they succumbed to the devil's temptation in the garden. King David expressed it with these words, in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin, and I was born in sin. That is with a sinful nature. You will have heard of this excuse that people often use. The devil made me do it. Passing the buck once again, isn't it? Only partially true The devil may tempt us, but it is our choice to give in to the temptation to resist it and obey God or to disobey him. We should note that being tempted is not sin. Being tempted is not sin. It is giving in to that temptation that is sin. Remember the example of our Lord Jesus. He also was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He resisted and rejected the temptation by declaring God's will as recorded in scripture regarding the temptation. We should note that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit though and thus escaped the reality of indwelling sin, our our own evil desire, our sinful nature. That is why scripture can say, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. His temptations came from the world and Satan, but not a sinful nature. And it's worthy to note Jesus' method of resisting and rejecting Satan's temptations, he resorted to the sharp arrows of God's word. It is written. Three strong words. It is written. Therefore, I resist the temptation and follow God. But to have the arrows of God's word in your quiver You must be one who reads, studies, and memorizes God's word. Is that right? And if Jesus used this method, how much more should you and I? You know what you need to do. Satan is indeed the great tempter, and he is amazingly successful in leading Christians and non-Christians into temptation and sin. No wonder then that our Lord taught us to pray daily. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, we note the value and importance of being familiar with the word of God. As the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus hid God's word in his heart. He was able to produce it when tempted. But here we see that James is dealing with the human side of temptation. In chapter 4, he will deal with that part that Satan plays in temptation. So you have to wait for that one or read on yourself. To fortify the tempted, scattered disciples of Jesus... James chooses to explain the process that occurs in temptation. To do so, he uses two practical illustrations. The first one being for fishing and the guys will know all about this one. The fisherman sets the lure. The fish sees the lure and is sorely tempted to take it. But he doesn't, does he? And that's where fishermen get frustrated. If it chooses to take the lure, the fish is caught, dragged away, cooked, and eaten. You've done it. You'd have been on the other side, but now look on the fish's side. To remain alive, it must resist the very alluring lure. And in the same way, you and I must resist the enticing, seductive temptations that are that our evil desires bring before us daily. James says that you are the fish. And if you are a wise fish full of wisdom, you will choose to avoid places and situations where lures are. That's why fishermen come home empty handed They've got to go to the fish and chip shop to buy the fish. Wise fish are in the ocean. So the alcoholic must avoid the bottle shop and the hotel. The gambler must avoid the casino. The sex addict must avoid exposure to explicit sexual materials. The thief must avoid opportunities where he can steal. The one who loses one's temper must avoid situations of argument and learn, and learn self-control. The proud person must prayerfully cultivate humility and whatever the trigger, and that's where you have to work. You have to know the triggers that bring those temptations forward in your mind you must choose to stay away from those triggers and choose God's way of holiness and righteousness notice the trends the trends the progress in the garden of eden the woman saw the fruit like the fish sees the lure she could have walked away she could have said no The Lord God has said thus and thus. She chose the wrong way. Then she took the fruit. Did she have to take that fruit? Second step. She need not have taken that fruit. She could have seen it but walked away. Then she ate. The third step. She need not have eaten it. She could have chucked it on the ground, although the the cat was out of the bag. And finally, she gave some to her husband, standing most likely right next to her. Again, she need not have done that. So we notice those stages in the process of temptation leading to sin. She saw, and so many temptations come through the eyes, don't they? Think of that. The eyes have it. No, yes, or the eyes. She took, she ate, and she gave. Notice that the source of her knowledge was Satan. Don't listen to him. Temptations begin with propositions of thoughts. They present two courses of action, one that will conform to God's revealed will and the other that will disobey God's will. The obedient Christian will dismiss the sinful choices Jesus did to Satan's three propositions, while the disobedient Christian will succumb to the shaming of the Savior. The latter point is also wisdom for the Christian. Our minds are to be filled with the knowledge of God and his will, his ways, his law, fellowship with his people, the singing of his songs. Those things will cut off many temptations before they enter your mind. You may have experienced that. It points again to the Christian's need to search the scriptures, to know these things. This is the way of wisdom. And we could throw in there How many hours of the day do you spend in God's word relative to watching TV or doing other mindless things, computers and those things? James continues his explanation on the process of temptation with another illustration, this time from human life itself. From conception of life to the end of life, death. Human conception is viewed as the initial choice of succumbing to the temptation. The sinful decision has been made, but it is still not done. But the die has been cast. And sometime later, conception produces birth and the sin becomes visible. Its results are clearly seen in the life of the person. And sin grows and develops just like our bodies do. They don't remain dormant. You can't keep a lid on sins. Finally, the life of sin is fully grown and the person dies. Temptation given in to results in sin and the final result of that sin is death. It is a serious warning to those who don't resist temptations. And James does not have to spell out the meaning of death. That was clear to those whom he had most likely taught when they were in Jerusalem. He's their catechism teacher. It was eternal death, separation from God. And this life cycle of temptation from birth to death can only be broken by a contrite heart, a real repentance, and a renewed vow, vow to serve Christ alone and flee from the sources of temptation. And it's a daily vow you need to make, a daily promise to God, not just once a week coming to church, a daily And for many of us, it's an hourly vow to make. So there it is, congregation. The problem of temptation is spelled out for you and the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Are you perhaps a little dissatisfied with James for not giving you an instant, easier solution to these temptations and eradication of them entirely in this life? The only help That James gives us, and remember that this is the word of Christ to us, is one, to define the process, and two, state the consequences. That's all he's done. Define the process and state the consequences. This, according to both James and the head of the church, is all that is necessary for you and me to face our daily temptations." Four things assist me here in coping with temptation. One, as a Christian, I fully know that succumbing to temptation without genuine repentance leads to eternal death, just as it did for our first parents. This is a powerful motivation to get seriously active in resisting my temptations because. I don't want to go to hell. As one who has experienced the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ, I desire above all, from the depths of my heart, to live for Jesus, to humbly express my eternal gratitude to him for his grace and my salvation. I don't want to give in to temptations. I want to love Jesus. And that's a second strong motivation to resist your temptations. And the third source of motivation, congregation, is the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. If using scripture was good enough for him, it must be good enough for you and me. So get into the scriptures. When tempted by Satan immediately after his baptism, Jesus refuted each temptation by standing on the word of God as it had been revealed in the Old Testament. It is written, and therefore obey, was his answer. Of course, if one has to have an answer for God's word, you must be familiar with that scripture. Memorize it. When tempted to satisfy his hunger after fasting 40 days, and who wouldn't be hungry after fasting 40 days? By commanding a stone to be changed into bread, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8.3. It was already there in his mind. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Perfect fit. Perfect fit. How did he know that? It hidden God's word in his heart. That's the kind of knowledge one must have to follow Jesus' example. Finally, the last, number four, the word from our Lord himself. In the garden of Gethsemane, before going farther into the garden to pray, he directed his disciples as follows. And it's for you and me too. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray. Do you think of that? Pray. Why didn't James tell us that? Well, he already told them that before in Jerusalem. It is recorded, those words, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, indicating very important words. So indeed, we need to pray earnestly for God's strength to resist the temptations that lure us. The struggle against sin and temptation will stay with us as a trial of our faith through all our earthly days. Not until we go to be with the Lord will that battle cease. Won't you be happy that day? But there we shall finally be free from all sin and temptation, free to fully worship and love our God and Savior, whose grace and spirit enabled us to endure to the end because blessed are those who persevere to the end. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice that we are your people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And yet, Lord, we are also very conscious that you give us a challenge in this life of faith to live before you, a life that includes being tempted to sin. Lord, may your word strengthen us this morning to resist the devil, to resist our evil desires and follow Jesus. Teach us to work harder at our temptations, to resist them. Help us to diligently know what triggers our sinful lusts, our evil desires, so that we may truly serve you, Lord Jesus, more wholeheartedly than we are doing so at the moment. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a forgiving God and that you continue to forgive us when we fall, and you lift us up in your grace and love. We're so thankful for that. But we do long for that time when we will be free from temptation and sin and be able to worship you from a pure and perfect heart to the glory of your great name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.